Oh my gosh. All right, so I've given up Webpack and System.js. I'm on to Ward.js. It's the new thing. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hire to get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directly. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 64 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Ward Bell. Hello. Lucas Rubelke. Hello. John Papa. How you doing? I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and this week we have two guests. We have Mike Hardington. What's up? And Matt Kramer. Hey, everybody. Do you want to introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Mike Hardington. Uh, I work for Ionic on Ionic 1 and Ionic 2, and I'm also a developer advocate for the framework. And then I'm Matt Kramer. I'm the lead developer on the Ionic Creator Project, which is our drag-and-drop Ionic app builder. Very cool. I'm just curious, the Ionic Creator, was that actually written in Ionic? So we use some of it, but not entirely. So we do have uh, the Ionic Lab, which was written in Ionic and Electron. That is not the route we went for for Creator, but it is an Angular 1 app. Okay. Do you want to explain what Ionic and Ionic Creator are really quickly? Sure, Mike. Why don't you grab Ionic? I'll grab Creator. So... Ionic is a SDK for building native mobile apps using HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Simple as I can describe it. And then Creator uh, is a visual app builder. So like a long time ago, you, you, we had things like uh, Adobe's product where you could drag and drop and build websites and things like that. And we've come a long ways. So Creator's goal is for you to build Ionic apps and export real Ionic code like a regular developer would have written it. So does that mean that irregular developers use Ionic? <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I would hope so. Okay, I'll rephrase. Like a regular oh, Ionic developer would organize their project. <laughs> I started to teed it right up there and it was sitting there. It Somebody was. had to grab it. Yeah. So, hey, guys, I, I've played a lot with Ionic over the last uh, year or so and uh, very interested in it. So mobile development is is kind of a passion of mine. And one of the things I found with Ionic that's cool is to me at least, it knocked down a lot of the barriers to entry of getting a mobile application up and running uh, and also allowed me to leverage the Angular skills that I already had. Was that kind of a side effect or was that one of the intentions of what you guys were trying to accomplish? I think that was definitely the intention. Uh, you know, giving web developers the ability to use the skills that they have and start creating mobile apps. And then we took that even a step further with Creator and allowing marketers or project managers or things like that to start the scaffolding and hand it off to those web developers to build these native apps. So just just an, a little anecdotal story. So I've actually shot um, a couple series of Ionic videos for the Ionic team. And I was talking to Adam Bradley and I'm like, like Adam, like, how do I level up on Ionic? And I thought it was pretty humorous when he's like, well, do you know Angular? I'm like, well, yeah. And he's like, okay, well, you're ready to go. Mm -hmm. And so really, you know, kind of at least, you know, the conversation that I've had is 
if you know Angular, then you know you're ready to jump into Ionic and start building stuff right away. And that has certainly been my experience. Right. Yeah. Ionic is great because all the APIs that are there and available to you, you don't have to use them. There, there are some directives that you can use uh, right out of the box, but Ionic itself kind of is like a really thin layer on top of your development process. So can you tell me a little about NG Cordova? Because that's honestly, that's when I kind of got pretty interested in Ionic. Sure. Uh, so NG Cordova was kind of a side project for a little bit. Cordova has this concept of wrapping native device functionality inside of a JavaScript API, and it works off of uh, callbacks. And since we're in Angular, we figured, well, why don't we just you know create thin Angular wrappers around all these plugins and do it in a nice, promisey way? So that way it's like one less thing for developers to kind of have to wrap their head around. So we started out doing all the core plugins like camera, the file system, SQLite, wrapping them in Angular services. So that way, all a developer actually has to do is call that service. And once that service is actually run, you know, dot then, and then they can uh, handle out the error. And it's a much simpler uh, way of handling things than callbacks. Because I'm looking at a list on your um, NG Cordova site for plugins. It looks like there's over 70 different things that I can do to interact with the native device through NG Cordova. And that's using basically a, an Angular directive with it, correct? Uh, yeah, it's essentially, yeah, we started off with the core plugins and then it's just exploded and a lot of, uh, lot of contributions from the community. You know, people, if they have like one plugin, they've submitted a pull request to add a small wrapper to it and it's super easy to integrate. And then I think it's worth noting here too that with Ionic 2, uh, we've baked NG Cordova in a little bit more so it's a lot easier to use. Uh, in Ionic 2, because we've kind of decided that we want to carry that weight on our shoulders, and we need to help, as a company, enable developers to use those plugins. Can we take a step back, too, for a second, and just, uh, I, I dove deep, but I want to pull back for a second and say, when people are looking at if they want to build a mobile application, it always comes up, hey, should I build a web app, or should I build a native app, or should I build a hybrid app, like a Cordova-based app? The concerns always come up seemingly with the hybrid version is performance. So how do you address that here with um, Ionic and Cordova? So performance is, you know, it's, no matter what platform that you choose to write your app with, there's always going to be performance issues. You know, but we just we write clean code, we write performant code, and we start utilizing, uh, you know, technologies to help the actual device browser be a little bit better. So specifically for Android, Android's notorious for having kind of subpar performance. So we've brought in this plugin to enable actually using a Chromium-based browser as a default web view for Android. So you're getting essentially the same power of Chrome from your desktop on your device. So old uh, Android versions like Android 4.1 will actually run on par with a brand new Nexus device. Uh, I also want to just uh, jump in here. Uh, I think the thing that I always heard about with performance with Ionic and other Cordova-based uh, or web-based apps on the phone was scrolling, that the scrolling didn't look right or feel right. And I, I haven't experienced this myself, but I haven't had a list of thousands of things on my Ionic app either. Right. Scrolling scrolling's always going to be tough. So one thing that we kind of did to help make that a little bit better was we kind of created our own uh, mechanism for scrolling. We used a, a JavaScript-based scrolling, and we have this directive called collection repeat, which essentially becomes a drop-in replacement for ng-repeat. And what it does is, as you start scrolling, it'll take the elements that are leaving the screen, uh, update their data, and then just recycle them. So essentially, if you've done anything with native iOS development, it's essentially UI collection view where there's only a fixed number of elements in the screen, and they just keep recycling the data, uh, the elements, but just updating the data. Yep. Yeah, it's UI table view, I believe. Yeah, UI table view. So you're kind of virtualizing the list, and you're detaching all the, the watchers of the guys that disappeared and attaching new watchers for the ones that arrive? Correct. Yep. Well, that's great, so that I'm not paying the cost for things I'm not seeing. Right, and it's we've tested it out with over... Uh, you know, 3,000 elements in. You throw that like on an older iPhone and it scrolls so smooth. 
And the thing I think that is most important here is really why Ionic exists is that this the native SDK is great. It's awesome. You have all these tools available to you that automatically do all of these things so you don't have to worry about it. And that didn't exist when you were using just Cordova and everyone had to build their app from scratch. And now that Ionic's here, you know, our goal is to make sure that you don't have to worry about this collection repeat or the 300 uh, millisecond delay for tapping or anything like that. We try to take care of a lot of that for you. So I, I want to back up just a little bit further. So NG Cordova wraps around Cordova plugins. And Cordova, from what I understand, is the engine that basically gives you access to all of the native bits of phone functionality and then presents it in such a way so that you can write the rest of your app basically as a web application using web technologies. Right. So Cordova itself is essentially just you know, a Chromeless uh, web view. It's a, you know, UI web view on iOS and uh, the Chrome web view on Android. But they also provide this bridge um, through JavaScript, through a JavaScript API where if you want to access things, you know, on the, like the camera, they provide the native code for each platform, you know, iOS, Android, and a whole bunch of other platforms that they support. And then you interact with it through a single uh, JavaScript uh, API. So whether you're targeting Android or iOS, the native code may change, but the uh, JavaScript API that you work with will work for both platforms. Right. So it abstracts away the differences basically in the hardware and operating system. Right. And, you know, you just write the JavaScript. Can you describe some of the most significant applications that have been built with Ionic? Uh, I, it would be great, of course, if you could reference things, but sometimes I know that's not always possible. So maybe you can describe one or two of these apps in a general way that we can all appreciate out here. Yeah, so probably one of the most popular Ionic apps uh, is this app called Swerkit. So it's a uh, workout um, application, you know, stretches, actual weightlifting and everything. And it's had over a million downloads. And it's actually been featured on both the iOS and Android app store. And it was just one guy and doing it as a side project and written using one technology before and actually rewrote it in Ionic. And it's just blown up and become an incredibly popular app. So I have to say one thing that I'm really curious about, I, I have an iOS show as well. And I, I kind of went through uh, last week with the developers on that show, basically the devchat.tv app that I want to build. And so we talked about different functionality and features. And it seems pretty intuitive to me as far as being able to access things like the camera or the GPS, where you're basically reading information in. I'm a little curious as far as, uh, I guess, more with the camera and the microphone. Can you actually save and access files or information off of those. So, for example, if somebody wanted to record something with an Ionic app, can they actually access the microphone and save an audio file? Yeah, um, there's plugins to access access the, uh, the camera, the microphone, and then there's another plugin to handle writing to the native file system. So, all the things that you can that a native iOS developer actually has access to, you can do with Cordova and just JavaScript. And of yeah, course, the most important thing you can plug into is another flashlight app that we can create, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going through the list of things that you can tap into. And I'm like, flashlight, cool. I can make a little flashlight app. <laughs> it's the super flashlight. Yeah. So I, I am wondering then, I mean, and I get asked this all the time, is there an advantage to going with native app, you know, Swift or Objective-C or what is it called? Dalvik? Java for Android, is there an advantage to going with those versus going with Ionic? Because the, the trade-off that I see is that if I build it in Ionic, then it works in both places. And, you know, we've kind of explained the performance story and things like that. And so, you know, it seems like there really isn't a real downside to using Ionic unless you, for some reason you just want that native experience or could we, Chuck, if you don't mind, could we ask this another way and tell yeah. us what it's not ideal for? Are there any kind of apps you wouldn't use Ionic to build an app with? Well, there we go. I mean, you wouldn't really want to build, you know, super 3D graphic intensive app uh, using web technologies. There's uh, APIs available through the native layers that are opt super optimized to do that. 
if you want to create something like a, you know, like a Photoshop kind of equivalent on a device using web technologies, that's also going to be hard. Anything that's going to be super graphic intensive, you know, maybe you should start looking into uh, doing it native. What about talking like- to device scanners and other external third-party devices and things? So that's actually not that bad of a story. So things such as like Arduino or any kind of Bluetooth connected device, there's plugins uh, for Bluetooth serial. And then there's specific Arduino uh, plugins that you can work with. So any kind of device that is set up to be a connected device, so to speak. Yeah, you can interact with those. Cool. So even like sleds or things that like attach to iPhones or iPads, for example, you could connect to those. Right. If there's an API for it. It may just come down to, okay, well, now I just got to write a simple plugin to interact with this API. Right. So if it's something kind of customized that there isn't already a plugin for, but it has an API, then you can write your own plugin and hook it into your own Cordova or NG Cordova and then hook it into Ionic. Correct. What's the local data storage story? You know, many apps want to keep uh, a certain amount of data uh, stored locally and have ready access to it rather than having to go over the wire. I'm sure there's something for it, but I don't know what it is. Tell us about it. So local storage is actually, since it's a web view, we do have access to uh, local, uh, the actual local storage file system. Uh, we have, you know, Web SQL on a device and IndexedDB on devices that support it. And then there's some good libraries out there that will actually differentiate between each version. And, you know, if this device doesn't support this, then fall back to this. And if they don't support any of the new stuff, just fall back to local storage. Does it work the same way for hardware or features in the phone that exist only on one platform and not the other? One one that I'm thinking of is like Touch ID on iOS. Mm-hmm. Not, in fact, not all iOS devices even have Touch ID. Right. So if the APIs uh, actually don't exist, or if you have something for Touch ID on, say, an iPhone 4S, it'll actually just admit a uh, fail error. So a great example would be the iOS App Store. You can buy apps just using Touch ID. If it doesn't detect that there's a Touch ID, it'll fail out, and then you can handle that in an alternative way. Now, the classic complaint has always been about the fidelity of the interactions. And I know that that's constantly gotten better. But even, wasn't it Facebook that was talking about the fact that they had to go back to native versus, you know, a web view is entirely different than just a mobile app, but still... I know that that's the classic complaint is that a web view on a phone just doesn't have the same fidelity as you can get out of a native app. Uh, Yeah, that may have been a case. Uh, You know, that article in particular was, oh God, released probably 2012, 2011. Which was like 20 years ago at this point. Right, right. (laughs) Which, but what that also means that they were like developing in 2010, which Compared to the devices that we had in 2010 to, you know, devices that we have now, it's a night and day difference. Devices are just getting so to the point where you could run desktop grade OS on a mobile device and still get the same experiences, uh, experience that you would on desktop. So I think that kind of line of saying, well, devices aren't really capable of doing this and, you know, the quality isn't there. That line's kind of disappearing as time goes on. Well, and it's not just the quality of the devices. I know that Apple in several of their events have come out and actually been talking about the 2 and 3x performance increases they've gotten out of JavaScript core. And so it's not just the performance of the device and it's not just that it has more RAM or a faster uh, processor. It's that the JavaScript engine in WebKit has gotten better. Oh, yeah, it's gotten so much better. Um, JavaScript Core for iOS, uh, V8 for uh, Chrome and um, new versions of Android. It's just gotten so much better than what it was even two years ago. Now, I think it was at ReactConf. I'm trying to remember exactly, which was just a year ago. Uh, Somebody was talking about it. I'm trying to remember exactly where they were talking about it. But they were talking specifically about things like acceleration, for example. With a native device, as somebody grabs and slides the slider up or down, the ability for the native device, for a native app to track that acceleration correctly and give a, an appropriate response, responsive type experience was a lot, they claimed a lot better. Are you seeing that same thing or is that, it was, it was pretty fine type things like that that they were talking about. 
I mean, at that point, if we're getting to like that fine detail where, you know, if I throw my phone up and down, I want to be able to track all that interaction. There's definitely a line where it says, okay, that really isn't too important. No, I think Cordova plugins have something around like 400, 500 uh, operations like a second. And if you need to get like, you know, geolocation or get accelerations more than that and get that like, you know, much more detailed than that, what are you actually doing for an app? It seems just kind of over the top. So unless you're doing something heavily specialized that needs that. Fine right. That, right. There's there's a certain type of, uh, you know specialization for that kind of information. No, not everyone's going to write an app to do that. And at that point, if you need that kind of specialization and like you want to be that hyper-focused, you could work on a plugin that's dedicated to that kind of stuff. I think one of the things that a lot of companies go through is figuring out, do we want to invest in Ionic where we can, you know, reap the benefits of basically build once we run it on both Android and iOS or do we want to go down the road of just making a native for each? And one of the things that I, I hear about a lot too is, is the, the unknown, the fear of the unknown. So if I build it in Ionic, what happens if it turns out it doesn't perform as well? Have I lost months building my app and now I've got to go back and invest in two anyway? Uh, versus if I went ahead and built it native from the scratch and basically had two completely different teams build the same app and come out the other side. Bet you guys have had these conversations with people before. I'm curious what you tell them. That is a really good question. Hmm. I would tackle this, I think, from a business yeah. perspective real quick. Is yeah, that it's not me, about the technology at all. It's a yeah, no. business decision. Yeah. Exactly. And so let's say you did. You went down that path. You chose Ionic. And maybe it didn't work for you. Well, for one, at least you had a smaller team of developers working on that than two full native teams. And the other thing is, too, is as you're working on this and as you're making your Ionic app, I think you're learning a lot more business stuff about your app than anything else. So you might know like, oh, the designer doesn't like the way this looks or we changed this. You know, we found out we didn't even want this feature. Like there's a lot of learning outside of the programming that's going to be happening during the same process that will definitely transfer over if you wanted to switch to native. The other thing that I see is that most of the companies that are looking at building a mobile app and are looking at these different technologies, a lot of times they have some other app. So it's a web app or a desktop app. Um, a lot of times there's some backend service that has to talk to it. And so by uh, getting in and building the uh, Ionic app, most of the time that'll work fine for them. And if it doesn't, they still have something out there in the market that people can pick up. And then when they upgrade the next time, then they get a native app. And so, you know, it's it's not a total loss. The other thing is, is that if you have web developers already, then the ramp up speed for them is much quicker. And so you have a prototype. And that I think this is where Matt was going, is that you have a prototype, you've learned all these lessons, and then you can put it into your other app. But yeah. And on that note, I kind of wanted to back up and talk a little bit about one of the other questions that came up which was, you know, when should I go native? When should I go hybrid? And I think the answer that a lot of people don't talk about is it really depends on your developers and the team that you have or you personally. Like, I'm a web developer. I'm going to start building in Ionic. I don't know anything about native. And your native developers are going to want to start. Well, that's why I know about native, but you know what I mean? Like, if I'm a native developer, I'm going to go native. And so a lot of it, too, has to do with just personal preference and nothing other than that. I'll throw one other thing in there. We've talked a lot about developer skills, which is clearly where you are there. It's like, what skills do my developers have? But um, not only are you spreading, if you go native, are you spreading developer skills over two entirely different platforms requiring two different sets of skills? You're also spreading the business knowledge. I mean, the, the person, the people who know what's going on now have to pay attention to two platforms, to two development teams, try and make both of them come in and deliver the, um, the value. And in some, some respects, the business knowledge is a scarcer resource than the developer knowledge. So, you know, focusing all of your forces may have um, both uh, economic advantage and practical advantage. I found the best way to, if a developer's out there trying to pitch this to leaders, I found the best way to make an impact with this is to build a proof of concept. Take a week, build an app with it, and show them what can be done. Mm -hmm. And highlight the key business cases that you're trying to accomplish with the Ionic versus the native app. Because I think to me, the thing that's been attractive is 
reusing the skills that I have and speed and efficiency that I get out of it. So that's attractive to business leaders being able to say, Hey, I can do this in weeks versus months too. So uh, it's a lot better than going in and just talking. Yeah. And if you just talk about all these things, you know, people just hear you talking. They want to see results. So showing them an example, like you mentioned, was it Swerk It? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Swerk It. Swerk It. <laughs> Sounds funny. But, Circuit uh, Workout, I guess that was the name. Oh, okay. So if you like go show them an app like that, you know, and say, hey, can you tell me, show them two apps. Hey, can you tell me which one is the Ionic versus the native? And if they can't tell, that's that's a good thing to show. Well, the other thing is, and I think we've kind of said this in in a couple of different ways, is that if if you have a mobile team and a web team and the mobile guys run into a problem, then they go, oh, I have a problem. I don't understand how to do this with Angular. They go ask the web web team. And, you know, and then that kind of works out, which kind of leads me to the next question I have. And that is that I hear people talk about Ionic like, oh, well, Ionic is Angular. And so since we're using Angular on our web app and we're using Angular on our mobile app, then we can share code. And I, I, I always wonder how realistic that is. Do they say it with that tone too, Charles? Okay, so I was being a little <laughs> bit dramatic. But 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 it's like they, they, they talk about this light bulb going on, and I've never heard it from anyone who actually built an Ionic app and uses Angular on their web app. So can you share code? How common is that? Yeah, you can definitely share code. I mean, there's parts where, you know, certain views and controllers that may be specific to a mobile environment versus a responsive, you know, web app, that those may be separated because those are very different environments and UI and UX. But things like services, you know, anything that you're interacting with to get data, those can all be reused without much uh, effort. Yeah, I found services and directives were pretty reusable between the apps, but controllers and views, absolutely not, because I was targeting two completely different platforms. So, right. Yep. Uh, you know, while they could be done, it wasn't conceivable for me to say, hey, users, here's a data grid in a desktop. I'm going to shove this on the Ionic phone for you. It just didn't work out that way. And even services to a certain degree, if I was pulling down more data for desktop app, and maybe on the phone, I'm only pulling on four fields. Maybe I don't want to call the same service. Maybe I want to call a, a lightweight version of that. The other so, thing about the depends. services that I ran into was that I wanted to cache some of the information on the device. And so in the web, you know, the service pulls the data and maybe caches it in the web, but it's different when I'm saving it to a SQLite service or NG plugin. So, yeah, so that, that could lead you to factoring your, your application in a way that you where the, the interface is consistent, but you have different implementations for different platforms. Right. right. But the, uh, the concerns change just a little bit from yeah. one to the other. Now, I know that my, most of us are building business-oriented apps, you know, B to E or B to B or something like that. So, you know, if I go to the boss and show them uh, something about fitness, work, whatever that is, um, they might, you know, give me the hairy eyeball. But, <laughs> Are, is there some? I love that some term. Ex- <laughs> <laughs> That's a technical term. There, yeah. Do you have some ex- uh, kind of case stories that you can tell us about where um, there was a, a clear business case for an Ionic application and and it was mission accomplished? So clear cases where you know a, a larger like you know business-driven decision. So I, well, like, like, I mean, they were doing something like, you know, oh, I built it, you know, we have all this inventory and I need people running around with mobile devices. And so we built this great Ionic app that helps them go do the stock picking. I, I'm making this up, right? But I mean, right. or, you know, I'm a salesperson out on the field and I do, and I pull up my customer information and I made the sale. You know, what is it that, um, that this is garden variety stuff for a business application developer. What, what kinds of apps of that nature have proven to be uh, good mobile apps and good Ionic mobile apps? So, I mean, you just gave a really great example of, you know, it was having a sales team or and needing them to uh, have access to like a customer database. Myself, I was before I was working with Ionic, I was pretty much a, the only web developer and we had cases where, you know, our sales team needed to go out to uh, their clients. You know, they're dealing with analytical instruments. You know, we, they need to be able to grab information. You know, if there's something broken, they need to be able to take pictures to send it back to the technical team. There were cases where it's like, all right, well, 
not all the salespeople have iPhones and some of them just have, you know, have uh, Android. So, all right, well, I don't know iOS development and I don't know Android development. I'm just going to use something. I'm just going to use the same technology that I know. I'm going to use WebTech and I just chose to use Ionic in Cordova. Where we're seeing other uh, industries that are, you know, betting on it is financial industries where they need to be able to send out quick updates through, uh, through like stock information, investments. And it really doesn't make sense where it's just picking up data and when they already have like an angular version of it on the website, it's super simple for them to just kind of, you know, rework that for mobile. Can I switch gears for you for a minute though and just say, if I'm a new developer to this and I know some Angular, like most of our listeners probably do, and they want to get started in Ionic and they, they've heard of it, but they want to get up and running, what's the easy path to get on this highway? Uh, easy path to get up and running. Uh, we do have a lot of uh, documentation that's source generated. Uh, we have some great quick starters out there written by us and some members of our community. Like Lucas said, there's uh, so, there's Egghead videos that he's recording currently. There's so much uh, information out there. You know, we put out videos, quick start, how do you, how do I install everything, get up and running? And I'd like to throw out Ionic Creator as an answer to that too. Like if you're just getting started <laughs> and you want to know like how does this thing work, like you can jump in there, drag stuff around the screen and export actual Ionic code. So I mean like after you get your local machines set up to, you know, actually use that code. Like this is a super easy way to get started just, uh, you know, using everything without really knowing how Ionic works yet, but getting something where you can look at it and be like, oh, I dragged that button on the screen and this is the code that was generated. That's how, it, you know, that's how it works. Yeah, but I like doing things the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> so one other question I have related to uh, Ionic and what it's capable of is when we say mobile, I think we've all been thinking of the phone that we keep in our pocket. But I have a couple of other mobile devices. I have an iPad mini. Um, I used to have an iPad, full-size iPad. So how do you deal with those? Is it just uh, responsive design or is there something else to it? So with that, it's a lot of responsive design. But if there's anything else that you know people need to target something specific for this version of Android on this kind of device... We start setting uh, some JavaScript classes on our actual, on the HTML. So if you needed to target Android 4.3 and then get the actual device type and target it for a Nexus, the available classes are there for you. So you can start using your media queries for that. Okay. So John put into the chat earlier. Do you want to ask your question, John? Yeah, I was kind of giving him a heads up here. I'm looking at some other things. They're not the only game in town, obviously, when it comes to building Cordova apps. There's lots of other ways. In fact, I think, you know, is it Coney has some million dollar tool that you can use to build apps and IBM's got one. A lot of companies have something that will build mobile apps for you. What I like about Ionic is it's not like I pay you a million dollars and I run. It's, it's, I download your tools and I go. So that's what I like about it. But there's other stuff out there too that's been coming out lately. For example, Microsoft's got this thing called Taco. Uh, it's tools for Apache Cordova. It's like a CLI for getting started with Cordova. And I'm a little curious about uh, what you guys know about this and if there's any overlap with Ionic. There's a bunch of overlap with that. Uh, we've talked with the Taco team, uh, tools for Apache and Visual Studios, essentially, you know, about what their goals are with that and how can we work with that and, and integrate it into Ionic. Uh, they're doing a lot of it for trying to get developers who are more comfortable on the Windows platform and setting them up, getting, you know, the Java SDK and getting setting up everything that comes up with uh, with that, you know, Android. And what you mentioned, you know, kind of there's a resource builder, uh, resource dependency and uh, dependency uh, part to that that they handle. And the remote builds that you uh, also mentioned too. It's not essentially that you submit your uh, your app and you get back like an IPA, like an, uh, an iPhone um native binary for that or an android native binary there's still some work into it yeah it seems to me like it's a it's a command line platform to get you started but it's not a replacement for ionic at least that's how i'm seeing it, it seems like it's no. more of a get you going and then you can use a tool like ionic on top of it i imagine to kind of build your app and right what they were me to this was you can you can do remote builds like if you don't have a mac and you're on windows it looks like uh, according to the website you can actually build an ios even from windows well not i want to throw it in there that uh today we did just launch Ionic Package, which lets you do that from the Ionic CLI. 
So Ionic Package will allow you to build on Windows or on a Mac? Yep. Correct. Sweet. Yeah, the, the remote builds for uh, for the Taco tools, it's not really like a, like I they have a remote server set up where, you know, it's handling all the the builds. You'll still need a Mac. You'll still need to own it yourself, but you can connect to that Mac and uh, build from, you know, a Windows device if you uh, if you don't, if you're not near it. Gotcha. Yeah, I think it just it it makes like a bridge, right? So that seems to be where all these tools are heading towards. Is once you build, I mean, building the app to me has always been the easy part. The hard part for me has been making sure you've got the Mac to build it, you've got the certificates installed, the channel to develop, publish it to developer program. Uh, you make sure you've got all the hardware and the things lined up. Uh, and basically, when you get Cordova going, there's a lot of downloads to get things running there too. So. It, it just seems like there's a lot you have to do to kind of get that ecosystem ready before you can actually build the app. And that's what's been frustrating to me when I started Ionic about two years ago. But it seems like that, to me, that's the area that's gotten a lot better over the last year or so. Uh, and it sounds like you've now got a way to remote build Mac, too. So that's great. Yeah, now now we don't really need to go out and 5-gig download for uh, Xcode and then another 6-gig uh, download for the Android SDK. And then we have to download Java. And then we have to make sure all the paths are set. That We don't have to worry about that anymore. You know, we just you write our web code. And then with uh, the package that uh, Matt mentioned, you just send it out there. You can check the status on the build. And when it's ready, it'll let you know and you can just download it. So I'm a little behind the curve on some of this, too, because one of the things I wasn't sure about is the deployment story. Again, I keep coming from a business perspective and people don't, you know, businesses don't exactly want to go to a store all the time or rely on a store to pass judgment on on a critical update. So so what's the deployment story for the apps that I build with Ionic? So deployment's actually pretty good. With Android, you can either deploy it, you know, once you have the APK, you can actually deploy it. You know, through the web and just here's a link to it, download it. Um, iOS has a version where you can bypass the app store and distribute it, but it's for more like internal business related apps. Other places where you can start working with deployment is we have a service called Ionic Deploy, where once the app's installed on the phone, there's a service that you can sign up for and push your changes to. So that way, anytime there's a change, you can notify the user, hey, there's a change, and it will actually go and download and update the app. So if I have... Download and an update app, the app through the App Store, correct? No, actually through the app itself. Oh, wow. So it'll go... Since it's just web code, you know, we can just update the HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Uh, that's one of the kind of, I guess we can say, loopholes. Uh, Is that but like it's, a background load? So I was going to say, Apple, how did Apple let that so, one get by? <laughs> App, Apple considers HTML, CSS, and JavaScript to merely be assets, like an image. So they oh. have come out and said, look, we're going to let you update assets. And they haven't slapped anybody around yet. So, right. Eat, that's, that's like, now you want to know a sell <laughs> for the web technology <laughs> to business? That's it, because I can tell you. Nobody wants to sit around when they've got a broken app and wait for some nudnik on the Apple store to decide that the critical update has to wait because it doesn't pass some screen that they have. Oh, no it's kidding. Like, it's like a 10-day waiting period. Now you just have to like, okay, you push the update. Anytime the user opens the app, they'll get the update. I mean, that's a critical fail for business. And I would think, John, where you work, that would factor heavily into your thinking. One would think so. So let's switch gears again. Uh, this is interesting. And we've been talking about Ionic and Sense of Angular 1 for most of this. At least that's what I've been assuming. But uh, we all know Angular 2 is coming very soon to a theater near you. And when that does, I assume you guys have been working with the Angular team and have a plan. Um, well, how does Angular 2 tie into Ionic and what does it mean to you guys? So, yeah, we've been working with the Angular team. Our lead developer, Adam, he has, you know, meetings with Mishko, uh, Brad, and Igor. You know, Igor's actually come out to our office and, you know, gotten up to speed with us. And we've bounced ideas and talked with him. You know, we're very sold on the idea of uh, Angular 2. And a lot of the good parts about Ionic will still be there in Angular 2. So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the views and templates those actually aren't really changing, but all, you know, your component controllers and everything, those will change. But we find that we were actually deleting a lot more code than adding more code. 
So we are sold on the idea that Angular 2 is going to be big and going to be really popular. And kind of the benefit of being higher up on the abstract chain is that we can make that uh, process from going from Angular 1 to Angular 2 with Ionic a lot easier. One curious thing, what that's going to look like. What's uh, what's going to look like? I've got an Angular 1 app now with Ionic, mm-hmm. and I want to go to Angular 2. Is that going to be painful, or is that going to be start from scratch, or is it going to be press a button? Or No, it's not going to be that uh, painful. Actually, I've been... Uh, I've been going through a lot of our um, starter apps and a lot of our uh, apps that we write internally and just updating them to use Ionic 2. If you're following best practices, I hear some guy out there, he wrote some pretty popular uh, style guides. So, you know, may have to follow those. You can follow these those style guides and have something that's going to upgrade pretty well. Cool. I look forward to it. I think the question that I have with all of this is that most... Ionic 1 apps that I'm seeing are written in ES5. And with the change to Angular 2, they are at least strongly recommending that you learn and write in TypeScript. So is is that transition going to be painful as well, or is that going to be pretty straightforward? Learning TypeScript? Um, No, transitioning your app from ES5 to TypeScript. So with Ionic V2, we're writing our Ionic V2 core uh, we're writing it in TypeScript, but we're shipping with ES5, ES6, and TypeScript builds of it. So that mm-hmm. way, once you've actually, wh- whatever you want to write it with, you can just, you know, pick and choose whatever you want. Uh, something that I actually really like is that our build step so far, if you write some of your apps in ES6 and then some of it in TypeScript, it'll h- handle both of those file types. So you can mix and match, uh, you know, whatever you want. And if you, want to adopt TypeScript and get all of that, all of its features, you can do that kind of piece by piece. And that's all automatic and built in when you tell it to Ionic build iOS or whatever. Right. That's slick. So it's kind of the, a good analogy that, uh, that we have. It's like you bought the flashlight and now you have the batteries. You know, you have everything right out of the box to, to set up for you. Do you expect that all the NG Cordova directives that you had, all those things will port over for Angular 2 where we have another copy of those or how's that going to work? So they're actually a little bit more like baked into the system now, if I understand it correctly, Mike. Yeah, a lot of the core plugins that ship with Cordova and a few uh, community plugins as well uh, have actually been brought into Ionic uh, itself. So, you know, Matt mentioned earlier that, you know, we'd be carrying the framework itself would start to carry the weight in that a not a side project that other people would have to download. We'll just give you everything that you need. And you want to interface with the camera and you already have the camera plugin added. Well, now you just import the camera class and you can start interacting with it that way. Oh, cool. So these will actually be, at least most of these will be part of Ionic moving forward then. Right. So once you kind of, uh, you know, NPM install Ionic, you'll have all the, all the plugins, uh, all the core plugins at least uh, available to you. Is that just for Angular 2 with Ionic, or is that also for Angular 1 moving forward? Uh, that'll be with Angular 2 and Ionic 2. Okay. I'm kind of curious. Anybody... Are you finding that you're writing fewer, or you need fewer directives uh, when you're writing for Angular 2 than you did have before? Well, are we talking directives, or are we talking components? <laughs> no, I, 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 meant, I, meant, I meant directives, you know. Uh, uh, yeah. The way in which you interact with the, the views and stuff, it may be more do it more in sort of native Angular style rather than having to write your directives for everything. Right, yeah, we're, it's starting to be a lot less lot less directives, and we're just, you know, we've, we have a lot of the core plugins uh, or the core directives that we shipped with Ionic 1 available in Ionic 2. And, you know, that much shouldn't change for developers. Um, but, you know, are we writing less of them? Not really. But we're just moving everything over to either components or just actual elements that are based on CSS. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. What about new features that come in the devices like iOS 9 or 10 or whatever the heck we're up to now? It just came out with the 3D touch, mm-hmm. uh, the force touch type thing. Is that something that's already you can access through an Ionic app? Or how long does it take, I'm curious, for that kind of a thing to show up? So that kind of stuff, it's once it's available on the web view, 
you can just work with it right away. So once you want to start working with, uh, I think for such, I think there's a prefix for it. it's like, I can't remember what it's called, what the actual uh, JavaScript implementation of it is called. But since it's already on the, on the device through the web view, you know, yeah, you can start working with it right away. And we're working um, on trying to, you know, work with some of our components and get them to uh, use uh, the 3D touch. The other question that I have is IDE support. So it seems like you can build this with like WebStorm or something, or you can build your app with WebStorm, but does it hook into the Ionic build and Ionic emulate and things like that to actually fire that up and make it run somewhere else? Or do you have to do that from the command line? So there's two different stories about that. Um, WebStorm has really great support for Ionic Cordova. You know, they have... uh, plugins that are already shipped with it to interact with our command line features um, through the IDE. And then we have another product called Ionic Lab, which Matt mentioned earlier, um, which is itself an Ionic app built on top of Electron that essentially ships with all the core features uh, from our uh, command line in a desktop GUI. So, you know, if you're not used to working with the command line uh, and you want to just go ahead and uh, emulate uh, on iOS or uh, send it to the device. You know, I, I like to call this thing like GitHub for Mac for Ionic. You know, like it, it comes with all the features from, well, most of the features from the CLI and lets you do that all in a GUI. Gotcha. Yeah, so our app, it's built with Electron. It comes with all the functionality that you would want from the CLI, but in a nice GUI interface. That way you don't have to, you don't have to handle that. What was that app called? Uh, it's called Ionic Lab. It's funny that you uh, you've built something like this. I worked with a, or I've worked with a couple of developers that basically refused to use the command line if they could avoid it at all costs. And so, like things like Git, they would actually go download uh, GUI interfaces for Git, and it wasn't because it was any more efficient or not inefficient for them. It was just that they they had to have a GUI for it. That was me five six years ago, Chuck. <laughs> I was all gooey all the time, and then, uh, yeah, I went kicking and screaming into the command line world. I don't think that's too rare. Yeah, I, I just I just find it fascinating that there's enough demand for it. You know, there's still times I, I, I love command line. I use it every yeah. day, and I avoid GUIs now, but there's still times where I'm like, you know, I kind of think a GUI would help with this. And it's not just a GUI. I think it's really what I'm looking for is tooling. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, you know, bringing it back, I think that's kind of why I like Ionic is it feels to me like if you ever there's a game that my grandmother taught me called Holt the Malta. You take a card deck, 52 cards, and you throw it up in the air and the cards go everywhere. And the game is pick them all up. You know, the big mess that it makes is called Holt the Malta. And that's how Ionic, not Ionic, Cordova felt like to me before this is like everything's all over the place. You have to go pick them up and put them in the right order. And I feel like things have gotten a lot better between Ionic and the tooling and the different CLIs we have and uh, now it feels like this is a much more approachable way to build a mobile app if you don't want to go native. Yeah, there's all this technology yeah. out there. And let's just actually have kind of agreed upon, all right, well, here are all the tools that you need and you can just get building. I'm not having to go dig through Stack Overflow posts for like three days to find an answer to why this didn't build. I actually have something that's already there. Well, and the other thing is, is not just technical people that don't want to use the command line, but I've also worked for managers that were non-technical and even just so that they can click something and have it build and or emulate. I mean, that's, that's really helpful for them because then they can see it right away and they can interact with it without having to get on the command line and know all the nitty gritty details of how to get to the right directory so that they can run the right command. Right. And, you know, to jump off of that and, We've also have a product called Ionic View. Uh, it's free on the App Store. If you don't have any of the SDKs installed, or you know, as you mentioned, if you have like product managers or designers who aren't really developers, if they have an app installed. You can give them like a link, a QR code, or just like a little serial code. So like punch this in, and you can view and work with the app. Yep. And we kind of have that built into a Ionic Creator now, too, where you can actually text a link to your project, like to your boss, and it will actually just load it up in their browser on their phone to play with it. That's a little bit dangerous, though, I found with mock-ups or anything where it's a functional prototype that isn't quite built out in that they get it and then they're like, oh, you're done. 
Oh, yeah, you're done. You can finish. <laughs> Thank you very much. You know, try and explain to a client, well, I tap it and it does what it's supposed to do. Yeah, but it doesn't work. Yeah, but I tap it and it does what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't work. I'm so confused. So, yeah. Is there any more magical phrase than ship it? That just says it all for me. Yeah. And with that, we can say, we've got a podcast here. Let's ship it. All right. Let's ship it. <laughs> Uh, before we do, uh, do you guys just want to talk briefly about where people can get more information about Ionic or about you guys? Yeah, uh, they want to find out some more information on Ionic. Uh, definitely check out the site, ionicframework.com. We have a public Ionic Slack. I think it's Ionic Worldwide at Slack, uh, slack.com that they can join. Uh, lots of activity in there. We have a public forum that they can join as well. Best way to reach out to us, you know, Always tweet at us. We love tweets. Yeah, and then uh, you can find Creator at usecreator.com. And then uh, me personally, you can hit me up at uh, mattkramer.com if you ever need anything from me. All right, let's go ahead and do some picks. Joe, do you have some picks for us? I do. I'm full of picks. My picks overfloweth. <laughs> Joe, it's, you're just in one of those moods today, man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's different from every other time how (laughs) (laughs) all right so first off i want to pick this battery i just bought i'm going to be travel doing a lot of traveling internationally here soon and i have an early 2013 macbook pro which means that with the screen on the lowest it is a 15 inch so with the screen on the lowest setting i get about four and a half to five hours of battery life before my computer dies my laptop dies which is great, but on an international, you know, a 10 to 13 hour flight, it just doesn't cut it. And I really wanted to get something bigger. And I did some initial research a while ago and found these big bricks that were gigantic and would act as an external battery for your laptop. I I wanted something like for my phone, those little, you know, batteries that you now get at conferences practically for free. I wanted something like that, but I wanted it for my laptop. And I looked around and I found one that didn't quite work because it would only work with the newer MacBooks that had the new USB connector, you know, because MacBook changes its connectors six times a year. So I found this battery called Rav Power, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It was it was $100, and then for another, like, $8, there's an adapter cord that will go from it to the same connection type that my 2013 MacBook Pro uses, which is the MagSafe 2 connector type. Uh, the MagSafe 1 and the MagSafe 2 are the similar, they're the little magnet connectors. And I just tested it out today, and with my computer, my laptop was at 6% battery. The battery itself, this external battery, was 100%. Running out the entire battery added like 80%, so it went to like 86% or 87%. So not quite a full charge out of it, but the battery itself is only a couple of pounds. And it's relatively flat, so it could fit pretty well in a backpack. So for something on a phone, it would probably charge like a phone eight or ten times or something like that. Which model did you get, Joe? I don't know if it says here on the battery. I'd have to look. The Extreme Series model. This one says RPB14. It's 23,000 milliamps. Wow. So it's a lot. I find I can get from San Francisco to London for a lot less money and get a great workout if I bring some jumper cables and a car battery. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> good luck with that you enjoy that with you so i really like this i wish that it gave me more than even just a full charge there are some batteries i found a really nice battery if you have a newer macbook that works with newer macbooks you just have to buy the usb a to usb c is the new macbook adapter and it's like twenty six thousand for only 80 bucks but this one for, it's on amazon prime shipping plus the adapter twenty three thousand milliamps for 100 bucks you know, still pretty decent. So that's my first pick is this RAV power battery. And then the other pick that I want to pick is this TV show on Netflix I just discovered called iZombie, which is about a, a girl who was a medical resident or something, and she became a zombie, but she could control it. Now she helps the police solve crimes by eating people's brains and then discovering the murderers. Awesome premise. <laughs> I mean, what's I not awesome about I got sucked into that? that too, Joe. I don't know how. Did you I really? Myself. I did, and I it was sort of binge-watching, and it was terrible. Terrible. It just got me. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my kids saw that commercial, and they were, like, freaked out. 
<laughs> <laughs> it's really quite a cool show. I've only seen a couple of episodes so far, but I really liked it. So yeah. that's my second final pick. Well, and as somebody who likes to eat brains, and I am one of those people, it's really <laughs> I'm really interested in the culinary aspects of it. Yeah, and that's that's it's one funny thing about the show. She actually talks about the culinary aspects of eating brains. Our guests are never coming back on this show. Hey, I, I, I met my wife working as an actor at a haunted house, scaring the crap oh out of each other. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I actually have a Rav Power. It's a much older model. It's like brushed uh, steel, and it still works great, and it charges. It'll charge oh, yeah. my laptop for about a day. Uh, on a full charge and it'll charge my phone. Yeah. For like two or three days just plugged into it. So yeah. Plus one on that pick ward. What are your picks? I don't have my own picks. I just piggyback on other people's picks. Okay. Did we lose him or and was that, that means? it? That was, <laughs> I think that was it. That was it. <laughs> yeah. some space for other people and then I'll jump in and pot, you know, whatever, whatever. He, he dropped the mic okay. and walked out of the building. All right, John, go ahead and give him something to talk about. Wow. With that, uh, I'm going to tell you all here first, uh, pre-announcing a conference that is coming in April of 2015. And I'm committing definitely to myself, and I'm going to force Ward Bell to be there. Uh, this is going to be Angle Brackets. It's going to be in my neck of the woods at the Walt Disney World Swan Hotel. And I think it's the week of April 18th. Uh, so it's going to be a great show. Dan Wallin, a bunch of other great folks will be there. Uh, usually Douglas Crockford will be coming with us too. Uh, it should be a good time, good show, and it's a good time of year to get some updates on how Angular has evolved. So check that out. That's my pick. All right. Lucas, what are your picks? So my pick this week is Kelly Start from Mobility Wad. And the reason why I picked that is because Chuck just got a standing desk and he's trying to level up. And I have a standing desk as well, and it took some time to acclimate to it. And Kelly's real big uh, thing is actually mobility and uh, basically fixing mechanical issues um, through basically proper mechanics. And he has a few really good videos that I'll post in the show notes about how to actually fix your posture and actually stand at a desk. Ooh, I want that because I stand at my desk and I noticed my right foot is getting bigger than my left foot. <laughs> Are you on a slant maybe? Like <laughs> I mean, I'm really worried about it, but it's like I can't fit it in the shoe anymore. I got to buy like different di different pair of shoes. This is one of the most six... bizarre episodes we have ever done. He's got a six degree <laughs> grade in his office. Yeah, he he is standing on a slant, and BS rolls downhill. Ooh! <laughs> oh. All right, I got a couple of picks here. Uh, the first pick I have, I have set up a standing desk. I did the um, Life Hacker standing desk, the IKEA one. So I bought a whole bunch of stuff from Ikea and then put it together in a way that it wasn't meant to be put together. And uh, it's working out pretty well. I've decided that I'm going to stand through all the podcasts, uh, all of my mastermind calls and any other calls that I do. So I've actually moved my whole podcasting rig over to my standing desk. I'll have to take a picture and post it somewhere. Um, I did a Periscope with it this morning before I moved the mixer over and showed people kind of what I was doing. People seemed interested in that, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And then the only other pick I have, I have a bunch of houseplants in my office. Um, it just kind of adds some green. It makes it a little nicer in here. And I had a problem with remembering to water them frequently enough, or I'd water them too much, and then I'd have issues there. Um, so I got these little lights called Thirsty Lights. You can get them on Amazon. Uh, they're like a couple bucks a piece. And uh, they're really handy for uh, knowing when to water. So they start blinking, and then I put water in the pot. So those are my picks. Uh, Matt, what are your picks? All right, I got two quick picks. Uh, I have a short attention span, so something that just launched this morning uh, that kind of just caught my eye a little bit is an Ionic app called Bearder, like the word beard and then the little R letter R, which I think is a really well-done Ionic app. It's beautiful, and it's literally just People uploading pictures of their beards, and then it's like a face-off where you vote for who's got the best beard. So that's number one. And then number two is a new platform, social platform that I just discovered. I know it's been out for a couple months, but uh, Blab.im, which lets you host like online video radio shows that I've been using, and I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's like Periscope, except you can have multiple people on the same call. And you can pull people who are watching it in, right? Yeah, I've been, I've been loving it. I've been running like an actual like quote-unquote talk show on it and it's been a lot of fun awesome 
I really like the idea of that hot or not for beards. Yeah, um, it's, it's great. <laughs> Mike, what are your picks? Uh, so my pick is a kind of a social app uh, called Untapped. It's essentially for people who like to drink beer. And as you check in like kind of beers that you drink, it'll start suggesting uh, different kind of beers based on, you know, what that one was and what past beers have you uh, had before and kind of, you know, introduce you to new drinks and new beers that, you know, you may not necessarily think are something you would like. Cool. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Um, I encourage everybody to go check out uh, Ionic Framework. We'll have all the links that uh, Mike and Matt and everyone else have shared in the show notes. And uh, we'll wrap things up and we'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 